Scripture reading for this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're taking a break from Hebrews. Uh, Last week we saw that Jesus is our great high priest, able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, always lives to intercede for us, including in our struggle to wait patiently. Two weeks ago, we looked at how the word of God is living and active. John Frame said, when we encounter the living word of God, we encounter the living God. The word of God is living. The word of God is powerful. It exposes the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It reveals to us what's really there, including the things that make it so hard for us to wait. Why is it so hard to wait? Well, think about the culture that we're in and of which we are very much a part. This is the air we breathe. This is the water in which we swim. We live in a culture that expects relief now. Like whenever there's pain, whenever there's struggle, whenever there's anything that makes us uncomfortable, we expect immediate solutions. We expect to be able to define ourself. Now that has gone in some scary directions, but just step back for a second and remember the pressure that we all felt or maybe are feeling even now if you're a you know, young adult or a kid to define yourself in terms of your career. Like we bind up our identity so much in what we do and then we put so much pressure on ourselves and on our kids to say, figure out exactly now what it is you want to do because after all, what you do is who you are. So much pressure that we put on ourselves in so many ways. We're presented with so many options in our society. I mean, you know, just step back and think about the cereal aisle for a minute and just how crazy it is. And, and, and think about, here's this, like decision fatigue is a thing. Like people, there are people, and if you do this, no judgment. I mean, it just tells me how 
how much pressure you're under with the amount of decisions you have to make. But there are people who literally just have like six or seven sets of the exact same set of clothes. So they don't have to expend energy making a decision on what to wear on any given day. They can just grab it off the shelf. That's, that's the culture in which we live. We expect to control outcomes, right? We expect to be able to control outcomes and then when we can't, we feel like we're failures. This is, this is the kind of pressure that we put ourselves on that leads us to have a sense of anxiety and discontent, let alone the things that just happen as a result of living in a broken world where bodies break down, where people get sick and where people ultimately die. We are restless and anxious. We are discontent. We don't have great expectations. We have grave ones. We exhaust ourselves chasing things that won't ultimately deliver on what they promise. And we don't know how to stop chasing the wrong things in order to wait for the right thing. And here's what we need to learn this morning as we look at Simeon and Anna, that in the same way that chasing the wrong things wears us out, waiting for the right thing brings us peace. In the same way that chasing the wrong things wears us out, waiting for the right thing will bring us peace. We need to learn how to wait. And there are a few better examples in scripture than Simeon and Anna. So, so what do we learn from Simeon and Anna about the waiting time that we're all in and that some of us feel far more acutely than others? But when we pause long enough to think about it, we are reminded that we are in the waiting time. What did we learn from Simeon and Anna about the waiting time? Well, we learned something about their expectations and we learned something about their devotion. Simeon and Anna's expectation and Simeon and Anna's devotion. That's where we're headed, but first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for this story that's preserved for us. Lord, this is important for us. It's, it's in your scripture. This account of Simeon and Anna at the temple seeing Jesus Lord, it is meant to cheer our hearts, but also to teach us, to train us, to equip us for righteousness. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts to that end, both that our hearts would be cheered and our minds would be prepared to live and, and walk in a way that's pleasing to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So Simeon and Anna expected to see Jesus. If you had to just say, what was Simeon and Anna's expectation? It clearly, as we just read, was to see Jesus. The setting, of course, was the temple. Look back at verse 27. Let me just pick up on what's going on here. He, that is Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So let's break that down. What, is, what was the custom of the law? What was it that Joseph and Mary were there to do with Jesus? Well, if we were to go back and look at verses 21 through 24, we would see that there were two trips to the temple. The first trip to the temple would have been to have Jesus circumcised on the eighth day. Boys in, Jerusalem, in, in uh, Israel were to be circumcised. And so Mary and Joseph had been there already. They, that's when Jesus was given the name Jesus. He'd been named there in the same way that the angel Gabriel had told both Joseph and Mary to give him that name. That's where Jesus was named at the time of his circumcision at the end of eight days 
That's from verse 21. But now they're on this second journey to the temple and they're there to do two things. They're there first to make a sacrifice for Mary's purification and also to present Jesus to the Lord. So that, again, was something that happened. After 40 days, a, you know, a woman who had given birth would be ceremonially unclean for 40 days after the birth. And when the time was up, that, that mom was required to make a sacrifice for her, uh, for her purification. Um, a lamb as a burnt offering and a pigeon for a sin offering. Unless you were poor. And if you're poor and you couldn't afford a lamb, then two turtle doves or two pigeons could be offered. And that's what Mary and Joseph offered. Mary and Joseph were poor. The second thing they were there to do, as we saw in verses 22, or you can go back and read for yourself in verses 22 through 24, was to present their son to the Lord. Now this has, that that action has its, uh, its root back in the time of the Exodus. So Exodus chapter 12, God has delivered the people from slavery in Egypt through the blood of the Passover lamb. And Exodus chapter 13, God says to the people, every, every firstborn son from here on out is to be dedicated to me, not sacrificed to me, dedicated to me, every firstborn son. And that's what was happening here on this journey to the temple that Mary and Joseph had been on. The offering was made, the son was presented to God. And that's where we meet our two main characters. That's where we meet Simeon and that's where we meet Anna. So Simeon, again, what do we learn about him? Not a lot. There's no indication that Simeon was a, a priest of any kind or a temple worker or some kind of uh, you know, government official or anything like that. He was just a righteous and devout man who had been given a promise by God that he would not depart before seeing Jesus. We don't know how old Simeon was. The assumption is that he was an older man who had been waiting a long time. He certainly says, you know, when he sees Jesus, now I can go. <laughs> Something that we tend to say more often when we're older than when we're younger. But so Simeon, you know, he's, he's a righteous, he's a devout man. He's been looking for the Savior. And we also meet Anna. Now, we're going to say more. This is in verses 36 and following. We'll say more about Anna and her devotion to the Lord later. But for now, I just want you to remember that she was an older widow. She'd been married just seven years before her husband died. There's no mention of whether or not she had any children. It's been 80 years since her husband had died, and she too was at the temple waiting Simeon was waiting. Anna was waiting. Their expectation, what they were waiting for, was hope from heaven. Hope from heaven. Now, that's a way to talk about these two phrases that are found in the text. Look at verse 25. Simeon was a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. There's that phrase. And then something very similar is said, not only concerning Anna, but for all the people. So look down at verse 38, and coming up to that very hour, she, that is Anna, began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So here's Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel. Here's Anna and, and the crowd, the people in the temple waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What does this mean? Well, let's think about what was going on. 
a little bit of historical context. What was the culture that they were in? What were the expectations that, that they had? We can define our own expectations. We can think about our own culture. What was the water that they were swimming in? The context for them was this. As God's people in Israel, they had not, none of these people who were alive at this time had ever known that land to be their land in the sense that they were the rightful rulers over their own realm. Way back in 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel had been conquered by one superpower, the Assyrians, and the people had been driven out into exile. And then in 586 BC, the southern kingdom of Judah, which contained Jerusalem, was conquered by another superpower, the Babylonians, and they were driven out into exile. And then the Persian Empire rose up, conquered the Babylonians. The Persian king Cyrus said, okay, some of y'all can return to Jerusalem. And they went back. That was in 539 BC. The Persians then would be conquered by the Greeks. And every year, every decade, for centuries, up until the time of Christ, the Greeks ruled over the Jews. The Jewish land, Israel, was where they lived, but they were under the authority of Greek rulers from that point forward. Now, the Bible had prophesied some things in the Old Testament, that there would be a king who would come, who would deliver the people and restore the kingdom to Israel. So you have the angel then coming to Mary and saying to Mary, you will have a son and you will name him Jesus. He will deliver his people from their sins. He will be great and called son of the most high. His kingdom will have no end. The angel Gabriel is saying things to Mary about Jesus that were foreshadowed long ago in the Old Testament. And so the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David... And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And so here's this picture that Isaiah gives. And then if you go read Micah chapter 5, you'll see there as well. Not to mention in many other places in the, in the Old Testament. Pointing to this king who would come. Who would actually be a king for the whole world. Who would reclaim the, the whole earth for the Lord. And who would deliver not just the Jews but all who would look to Jesus Christ in faith. That, that's what the Old Testament pointed toward. The expectation on the ground in Mary and Joseph's day was not for that. The expectation on the ground, the expectation in the culture, was in fact that this Messiah would come and would kick the Romans out and they would have their strip of land back with the king sitting on the throne. And God said, my vision for you is so much greater than the vision you have for yourself. I'm sending my savior, my son, Jesus, to rescue you not from Roman rule, but from sin and deliver unto you not just a, a land in Palestine, but the meek shall inherit the earth and we will have fellowship with our heavenly father forever. This is the promise that God made to all those who by faith in Jesus are inheritors of the promise that God first made to Abraham. That was what should have been the expectation what was, in fact, the expectation, again, was that this would be a political messiah, messiah to restore the kingdom to Israel. That's why 
On Palm Sunday, the people rejoiced with singing and laid down palm branches, which were the sign of an insurrection. And that's why on Good Friday, by that point, Jesus had been handed over to be crucified. But there's every reason to believe that Simeon and and Anna understood the prophecies rightly. You see first in what Simeon says in verse 32, he will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. In other words, this gospel is gonna go forth. The Gentiles are gonna look to Jesus, that's us, and put their faith in him. And that will be for Israel's glory because they will have the privilege of knowing that the Messiah has come from within them. God has raised up from among his people a Messiah, a savior for all the nations. Simeon got it. One of the few. <laughs> and Anna got it. I think that there's a clue in her name. That, that the, the name Anna is actually, the, the Hebrew word for that is Hannah. Now again, she was a Jewish woman. Hannah, Hannah, the only other Hannah in the Bible is also a prophetess and that's the mother of Samuel. Hannah prophesied that a king would come who would deliver his people and be a ruler for the whole world. That's in 1 Samuel 2.10. Hannah said that king is coming. This Hannah or Anna said that king is here. He's come. Simeon and Anna were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the savior that would come from heaven. Their hope was anchored in Jesus, and our hope must be anchored in Jesus as well. As we've been studying the book of Hebrews over these past few months, we've been reminded that Jesus is our high priest. He's passed through the heavens. Through him, we are able to approach the throne of grace for mercy and grace. What an amazing thought. Access to God through faith in Jesus Christ to receive mercy and grace from God in our time of need. We take that for granted. We shouldn't. The living and holy and powerful God has made a way for us, sinful people that we are, to approach him without fear, but with great expectation. We, like they, don't place our hope in the things of this world. Anna and Simeon had a hope that was anchored in heaven. They were looking to Jesus. They were waiting for him to come. They did not place their hope in the things of this world. They were not looking to material comfort. They were not looking to political salvation. They were looking to a savior from heaven. They weren't caught up in political idolatry. We shouldn't be either. We're looking to Jesus for our salvation. Do we live with that same hopeful expectation? If not, how, how do we grow that in us? Well, let's turn secondly to Simeon and Anna's devotion. Simeon and Anna's devotion. Simeon and Anna, we would say today, wholeheartedly loved Jesus. Their devotion to him was wholehearted. And we see it in the text. Simeon, again, is said in verse 25, to be righteous and devout, like doubling up. He was righteous. And by righteous, I mean he was devout. That was Simeon. His heart was set upon the Lord. He was clearly sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 25 and 26, the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple at just the right time, it just so happened, right? 
What does Simeon say in verse 29? Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. This is a man who knew the word of God. He was letting the word of God. For him, it would have been the Old Testament. Pierce his soul, expose the thoughts and intentions, and bring him to a a point where he could refer to himself as a bond servant. Verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant, the word is actually bond servant or slave. This is a man who was holy, given over to Jesus. And so too was Anna, a woman who was holy, given over to Jesus. She was a prophetess. She was one of only seven women in the Old Testament, seven Jewish women who were referred to as prophetesses. She had a a remarkable privilege of being able to speak for God in a very unique and important way. And she was in the temple praying and fasting day after day, night after night, wholehearted devotion to the Lord. And they were both, again, waiting. And when we think about waiting, we tend to think in terms of desperation, right? It might start out with a sense of expectation, but then the longer we have to wait, how long do we have to wait? That sense of expectation can so quickly become a sense of desperation. But that word waiting in verse 25 and the word waiting used again in verse 38 is actually a word that can be translated eager to welcome. Waiting for Simeon and waiting for Anna wasn't actually marked by desperation like our waiting so often is. It was marked by a sense of expectation, of anticipation, of an increasing eagerness to welcome the one who is coming. It's interesting, you know, to have the kids up here this morning and ask them about, does it felt like forever (laughs) waiting for these gifts that you're going to open tomorrow? Yes, I can't wait to rip open the gifts. And we all know that just like them, our expectation and our excitement about the gifts often outstrips our excitement and expectation for the gift, who is Jesus. But we also know as we get older that that maybe the gifts themselves, although they mean a lot, they aren't as important as what feels like forever. And that's the coming of the gift, Jesus. The waiting time is wearying. It is, I know it's wearying. I know it's wearying for me and I know that for many of you, The waiting time is wearying for you. Maybe it's a season that you're in right now. I can't wait for this season to be over. These, can't wait for these kids to grow up. Right? Or I I, I can't wait, you know, to be done with college. Or I can't wait to be done with high school. Then I will be able to fill in the blank. Often with the idea of then I'll be happy. Then everything will be, then everything will be under control. Then I can take a breath. And we find ourselves in this waiting time, thinking that life is somehow up ahead of us. If we will see that what's ahead of us is one who is coming for us, the waiting time can be transformed into a time not of waiting with desperation, but of a readiness to receive with expectation the one who is coming. There's three things I want us to leave here with this morning 
And think about them as prayers. I think about Simeon and Anna. I think about Anna's devotion to the Lord, evidenced by prayer and fasting. I think about Simeon's clear dependence on the Lord as evidenced by his listening to the leading of God's word, allowing the word to cut him and, and lead him. And I think about what, what would that look like for us to apply that? This is the time, right? The year's ending and New Year's coming. This is the year I'll be more devoted to Jesus. And then, you know, face plant when we hit Leviticus. <laughs> what, what will it look like for us to begin not starting January 1st, but how about today? On a trajectory that God intends for his people to be on? I think the first way to pray is help. Help me, Lord. My devotion for you doesn't match what it should be given who you are and what you've done for me. Help. We talk about repentance as a way of life around here. That's why. We, we, we come before God's word. We, we hear it preached. We're reminded, man, who God is and who I am and my love for him in light of the cross is, is so cold. It's so pale in comparison to his love for me. Help. Forgive me, Lord. Today, I'm gonna tell you about the things that are on my heart that keep me from loving you as I should. And tomorrow, I'm gonna trust your word and your spirit to expose in my heart the same thing so I can keep coming back to you with this posture of expectation that you'll actually do your work in me that you want to do. Is that confessing my need before you? So, Help, let that be your prayer. But also this, Lord, would you let my devotion fuel my expectation and my expectation fuel my devotion? You see how that cycle can play out? Let my devotion fuel my expectation and my expectation fuel my devotion. As our pursuit is wholehearted devotion to God, which again is not, I've done my devotional every day and so therefore, but rather I'm in God's word and I'm in prayer. Why? Because I want to know more of what it means to be loved by Jesus. Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter three that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so therefore I come before you, God, in your word. I come before you in prayer that I might grow in my comprehension of your devotion to me in your son, Jesus Christ, that I might grow in my devotion to you. And as my devotion grows, my expectation grows. And as my expectation grows, my devotion grows. They feed on one another. Make it your prayer that that cycle will be true in your heart. Lord, let my devotion fuel my expectation. Let my expectation fuel my devotion. And then the third prayer is simply this. Lord, transform my waiting into welcoming. Let the posture of my heart, which is so often a waiting out of desperation, when will things change? To instead be an expectation of welcome. Soon and very soon, you will come. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. Even now, he told us that in John chapter 14. He said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come for you. And what I hope that you'll remember is that Jesus' anticipation to be with you is greater than any anticipation that you'll ever have to be with him. I do not think it is hyperbole to say that Jesus can't wait to have you with him. 
See, we often think of Jesus kind of begrudgingly coming for us. Okay, I gotta do this, right? Jesus died to have you. He died to have you. Don't tell me that he can't wait to have you with him forever. That day is coming. Make it your prayer that the posture of your heart, of our hearts together, will be one of expectation, ready to receive when he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the promise you will indeed come back. Lord, you have gone to prepare a place for us that we might be with you where you are. And at just the right time, you will come for us, whether that's to receive us at the time of our death or whether it's when you come to make all things new. Oh Lord, would you help us realize that each and every season that we find ourselves in, all marked in their own way by suffering and hardship. Lord, would you help us to see that you, you have broken in and you will break in yet again. That there will be a deliverance that can have a, a powerful impact in our hearts as we anticipate it with great joy. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.